everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And Bronco, another special guest on this week, the head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, Shane Beamer. Shane, thank you so much for jumping on with us. You're very welcome. Appreciate you guys having me on. It's awesome to uh, to be with you. Well, we're excited to have you on, and and it's it's rare, you know. This is head coach you. We, we we talk with a lot of head coaches out there. You know, usually at an SEC campus, you know, the, the head coach is kind of like uh, no, number one in terms of uh, reputation. I mean, you're you're on the campus there. Your AD has has brought a couple of national titles before going to the corner office. You're on on campus with Don Staley. I mean, what what is it like being kind of uh, maybe on uh, lower on the pecking order than some of your peers here? <laughs> yeah, there's no little. I definitely am. I'm, uh, <laughs> They've won a lot more championships than I have, but it's awesome. It really is. One, to have a boss in Ray Tanner who he's been a coach and, and he understands the things that myself and the other head coaches on our campus are going through. And, uh, you know, the fact that he's won a championship, multiple championships here at South Carolina is great to talk about in recruiting, but just to be able to pick his brain. You know, he's the athletic director, but at heart, he's an old school baseball coach. And, and I love that. And then Dawn, uh, what can I say? I mean, she's awesome. And uh, I've always enjoyed learning from other coaches wherever I've been. I've tried to get to know the coaches and the, on the different uh, on the different sports teams at the places I've been, men and women. Uh, coaching is teaching and, and to be able to just learn from them and how they do things has always been something I've been interested in doing. But to be able to be here at Carolina and to go watch Don Staley's team practice, which I have done multiple times this year, and and to go to their games and watch the other sports here at Carolina, it's a it's a great resource, and and I'm uh, grateful for Don that she, how open she is and allows me to just pepper her with questions and and learn things, and and I, you know every time I go over there, I learn something. So it's, it's really fun to, and man, how lucky you are to be on a, pl- a campus where the professional visits can just be across the street or down the hall or, or up yeah. a floor. We had uh, Andy Reid on just recently and interesting. I was talking to him about what he was looking for and his staff member and coaches and, and you alluded to it as well. He said, the number one thing I'm looking for is teachers. Hmm. And so great, great teachers. Uh, and, and I think as, man, as you probably see the world of college football, there's, there's a pretty strong move toward entertainment. There's a pretty strong move toward uh, professionalism. There's a pretty strong move toward individual branding. But somewhere while all that's going on, um, the, the teaching component and really disseminating information, not only scheme and strategy, but life lessons, yeah. uh, it appears that it is something that's dear to you. And so going back to your athletic director, how did he find you? How did you find him? How did that process go? Tell us about the search and the hiring and, and what that was like and and what kind of fit that for maybe what you thought the fit was going to be like to what it's ended up being like. Yeah, no, great question. Um, you know, so I was here previously coach as an assistant coach with Steve Spurrier, 2007, 8, 9 and 10. And Coach Tanner was the baseball coach uh, at the time. And uh, my wife, Emily, and I, we loved our experience here in Columbia. Two of our three children were born here. We won a lot of football games with Coach Spurrier. And uh, I left after the 2010 season to go work for my dad at Virginia Tech. But it wasn't because I was unhappy here. We, we love this place. And we always said that 
I, that we would love to have the opportunity to come back here as the head coach one day. And I said it and I, and I meant it. And, you know, certainly followed South Carolina wherever I was after that. Virginia Tech, uh, Georgia and, and Oklahoma were the three schools I coached at after I left here. Always kept up with South Carolina. Always tried to keep in contact with Ray Tanner, our athletic director. And uh, certainly when this job came open, I was coaching in Oklahoma, but I did everything in my power to try and um, get in on it and just to at least just get an interview. And um, uh, you know how it is, search firms handle everything and search firm, I think they made a coaching change on a Sunday during the season, South Carolina did. I got a, a phone call from the search firm on Monday morning telling me that, you know, they were interested in talking to me, but he also prefaced it with saying, you know, they're going to talk to a lot of people and this is going to be a really, really hard job for you to get Shane. And, um, but I just wanted an opportunity. So Wednesday night, I did a phone interview um, after work in Norman, we were getting ready to play somebody that week and did a phone interview. And, uh, you know, it was going to be coach Tanner, the athletic director and chance Miller, our deputy athletic director. And, I'm like, man, this is like my shot. I've been wanting for 10 years to over 10 years now to come back here as the head coach. Now I got an opportunity to just do a phone interview. And if I do it well, I'll hopefully get an in-person interview. But if I screw it up, I ain't going to hear from them anymore. So it was it was a lot of pressure. And I'll never forget, Coach. I was on, I was in my office in Norman. I had written out a bunch of notes of things I just wanted to talk about and convey I took everything off my desk and I just had just papers of, that were pertinent to the job interview on my desk. But we stayed on the phone. It must have been an hour and a half, two hours. And honest to God, never once did I look at those papers. And it was just a we hit it off. It was a great conversation. I was very passionate about this place because I had been here before and, and I wanted to be here. Um, and I remember walking to my car and calling my wife afterwards. And I remember saying to her, I'm like, you know, we got a ways to go, but I really think I may get this job. And, um, you know, this is, this is 2020. So COVID is going on and, and uh, games are getting canceled and all that. So we did the phone interview and then we scheduled a, uh, an in-person interview for the following Friday. We had a game that ended up, we were going to play West Virginia. That game ended up getting canceled uh, so I flew to Atlanta, Georgia, met with Coach Tanner and Chance Miller again in a hotel room. That was a long, long six, seven hour interview. And um, and then after that, it was just kind of waiting. But it was a great to answer your question. It was a very they made it easy. It was a very natural process because of my desire to be here as the head coach. And it was certainly stressful and nerve wracking, but I've been through other interviews before and you know this, I think the more you interview and the more you talk about things, the more uh, natural it gets. And, and apparently I did a good enough job to, to get offered the job. What, what a fascinating experience. And so for those of our listeners that man, haven't interviewed to be a head coach, especially at an SEC school and it, and the, the, the assistant uh, positions that you've had, man, great preparation and so many cool coaches and places to, to learn from. Yeah. Uh, but the search firms now are pre, uh, preeminent in, in kind of the initial contact, as you just explained. And, and then, as you mentioned, if we're talking sequence, then there's usually a phone interview or Zoom now, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, then, and then if you're in the next pool, at some point, there's an in-person interview, which you mentioned. And it, I, I was going to go back to that. When you went in person, 
did you have to have an assumed name? Were you going up through like where the where the uh, where the waiters and the stuff go up in the back entrances or alleys? Was it secretive? Did they? Um, so that that's been part of the experiences that I've had as well. So I'm anxious to go back to that and just kind of hear, you know, if you had to sneak in undercover or how, how that worked. And then uh, I don't uh, I don't <laughs> think that was big time enough to have to worry about being undercover and things like that. Now, there was a lot of interest on the South Carolina search from the people here in South Carolina where they were, you know, they were tracking planes. <laughs> it was, I know there was one media agency over here that reported that I was interviewing in Oklahoma city, Oklahoma for the job. And that never happened. Yeah. Um, I don't think they were too worried about it. I flew commercial to Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> um, I walked through the concourse in the Atlanta airport. I went outside. I got my own Uber to the hotel <laughs> and walked right in the front lobby. So it wasn't uh, it wasn't too cloak and dagger. But no, I've heard a lot of those stories about assumed names and things like that as well. And and uh, it's kind of crazy. I think I think our university. I think they used a plane that wasn't able to necessarily get tracked. So nobody really knew that we were interviewing in Atlanta. Um, but no, it was pretty, pretty low key. And then, you know, flew and I tried to keep it low key. We were in the middle of a season at Oklahoma as well. So other than Lincoln Riley, the head coach at Oklahoma and Joe Castiglione, the athletic director, um, uh, I don't think anybody else in Oklahoma knew other than my family and some very, very, very close friends that are that are that, are, that I've confided in. But it was it was in and out. And, uh, it was and it was the Friday after Thanksgiving as well. So I think there was a lot going on. Um, as well, but it was a it was a great in person interview. The president at the time he was actually battling COVID, so he was in isolation. So he jumped on a Zoom uh, as well. But no, never never came to campus until I'd already accepted the job, and everything was was remote, either on the phone or in a different city. You know, you know, it's really interesting, and I think part of uh, that process is that uh, those that are hiring are looking uh, how how each candidate manages the confidentiality and how they navigate some of the unique things that come with that, right? Yeah. Coaching your existing team, the existing group, and, and how well you manage that, um, how much information gets out and can it be traced to you, and how authentic you are and just genuine and grateful to be getting the opportunity. And so it sounds like just, man, the authenticity and your ser uh, sincere desire to be there but also the preparation and I can envision all the notes on your desk yeah. and, and usually it's so, it's so fun to hear you say, normally if the interview's not going well, you're looking to your notes a lot, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> trying to generate content and trying to build momentum. And when you don't have to look at the notes, even though there's been all this diligent preparation, those are all great signs that it's a great fit yeah. and, and it's going to uh, end up having a great chance to, to be likely. Yeah. And that's and that's how I felt, coach. I really did. And, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't interviewing for a job that you were just interviewing because you wanted to be a head coach. You're interviewing for a job that you really, really sincerely wanted to be at that place. And I wanted to raise my family in Columbia, South Carolina. And I knew the potential of this program. And and it's something too. it sounds cheesy. But I mean, in a lot of ways, I've been preparing for that interview for 10 years, you know, yeah. for the South Carolina job. And um and and uh, so I knew a lot about the program. And then you're right. I wasn't about to risk my chances of getting the job by trying to violate any kind of confidentiality. I mean, I already told my I already told my parents, you know, half the stuff. I, think they, I think they got a lot of the information from um, 
from uh, my wife, you know, probably as far as what was going on. And, and <laughs> even the night that I got offered the job, I mean, I wasn't telling anybody other than my, my, my family that was with me, my parents and my in-laws. And, and then, you know, word broke in the national media, but it didn't come from me because <laughs> I wasn't about to tell anybody to uh, that would that would affect, you know, the chance, my chances of getting this thing as well. So you brought up a great point. Um, and for our listeners, I'm sure they know um, your dad is Frank Beamer and just one of the just the amazing college football coaches and coaches um, in our sport. And so as you were going through this process, as you mentioned, if he if he heard, he might have heard through your wife. Was there a point <laughs> along the way where it was, you know, dad, what do you think of this? Um, and and what's that relationship like you have with him in regards to career moves or or professional, uh, maybe just dialogue of any kind. Yeah, no, um, uh, it, it was quite a bit of conversation, still is, always has been. Um, you know, during that process, it was maybe just picking his brain on a few things here and there. And he had interviewed for jobs in his time as a, as a head coach, whether it was getting the Murray State head coaching job or the Virginia Tech job or, you know, other schools that were interested in hiring him when he was at Virginia Tech. Uh, as well. And, and, you know, since he's gotten out of coaching, uh, it's, it's less coaching conversations, X's and O's wise coach. I mean, he's still special teams is still his baby and he still likes talking special teams and all that, but really it's more now philosophical because um, you've been in this, this chair It's a lonely position a lot of times, and there's not a lot of people that you can talk to. So to be able to, call him who he did it what, 20, 29 years at Virginia Tech and then seven or six or seven more at Murray State. There's not many things. It's a different time in college football, but there's not many things that he hasn't already experienced. And I think one of the greatest, and I said it last week, I was telling somebody, one of the greatest compliments I can give him is they ask me how often we talk and we talk regularly, but I don't really have to call and ask him uh, advice on things because I already know what he's going to tell me, if that makes sense. Just from being his son, playing for him, coaching for him, I have a pretty good idea of how he does things and what his answer would be. And, and our program is very much like a lot of the things that he did when he was at, uh, when he was at Virginia tech. Plus he's, you know, right now he's a pro his priority. My mom and him is being grandparents to my three children and my sister and her husband's three children. That's where he likes to spend most of his time. But uh, he's a phone call away and he's at all of our games and, and is very involved uh, in this program. But he's uh, uh, a lot of the lessons that he taught me. I I've learned, you know, throughout the years and, and know how to handle situations now because of that. So a, a couple of things just uh, that I heard you say that really resonated yeah, the position of head football coach at a Power Five institution is very lonely and very isolated at times. And and the list of who you can call is challenging because some of those guys are your competitors. Yeah. And it was interesting, uh, maybe a week after I paused my career and stepped back, the number of head coaches that called um, just to to have sincere dialogue about what was going on in their program. I, it was astounding to me um, that that how I was feeling at times of who, who can I talk to? Who can I share this with? Where can I go to learn more or to handle this? And that became really prevalent. It was one of the motivators for this podcast. Mm -hmm. And so have it be a safe space without uh, sharing information that's strategic or competitive in any way. Um, but what you just said and to have uh, to have your dad that 
uh, man, already understood that position because there's not many that do. Yeah, it just is a great benefit. What no, I'm thinking with that is, um, I don't know how much of that do you do you try to instill maybe in in your relationship, certainly not only with your own kids but with your players uh, and. I don't know how, how much of that is your intent and, and, and how do you go about doing that? Yeah. Um, you know, I was fortunate that I, I, I grew up his son for about 18 years before I went to college and then I played for him in college and then I coached with him. So I've seen my dad in all three different, all three elements, which has been great to be able to take from that and the good and the bad as well. And then all throughout that time, whatever my role was, I saw the relationship that he had with his players as well and then the relationship father son that he and i had as i was growing up and i was hanging around the locker rooms and things like that like i did growing up so um it's all you know carries over to what i'm doing here in this program with my own three my, my three children that are at home uh with, with my wife and then here in this here in our program as well with our players and you know the relationship that that i want to have uh, with those guys. I'm very intentional about that. Um, you know, my office door is always open. I try and be out and about, you know, throughout this building as well and, and being uh, visible at all times. And, and when I was an assistant coach, I was an assistant coach for 21 years, I guess, before I became a head coach. But wherever I was, I always had great relationships with the players that I coached and particularly your position group but then also other guys as well. And that helped me in getting this job as well, former players that spoke out. But I say that because now I love the role that I'm in right now, coach, because I can have those relationships with 120 guys yeah. on this team. And I love the fact that they feel comfortable coming into my office and talking about issues, whether it be girlfriend or parent or grandparent or academic or mental health, whatever they may be struggling with, just being able to help them, uh, things that I'm not qualified to talk about, being able to get them help in, 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 in those areas as well. And, and a lot of that just comes from, you know, my dad and how he um, raised my sister and I with my mom, but then also how he ran his program uh, over all those over all those years as well. You know, I think that the, the head coaches that have those kind of relationships that you're talking about, and I certainly saw it with your dad's teams. There's a chemistry that manifests on the field and there's a care and there's a genuine uh, bond that's formed on those teams and they play uh, harder and deeper and are more connected. And from the lenses that I see now, besides just watching a game, but how I see it, those things manifest to me. And, and, and if you know what to look for, they're not subtle. They're they're playing out right in front of you. And when someone truly cares about another person, whether it's a teammate or their coach, yeah, it, it's a, it's really a special thing. So as you're developing those relationships, I don't know what do you think are the key components as you're working with young people today as to to what helps foster uh, yeah. those relationships and what helps them grow and develop and and there's a, that's a great point. Um, my dad, we had a, our high school coaches clinic last weekend, and my dad uh, was part of what we call the Legends Roundtable. So we brought my dad, uh, um, another competitor of yours, David Cutcliffe. Oh, yeah. was here, and then Sylvester Croom, who I worked with at Mississippi State. Uh, the three of those guys were the coaching legends, and a high school coach asked them, you know, what would you – if you were trying to build a program, you're trying to turn around a program, you know, what's the biggest piece of advice you would give? And my dad said, care about your players. And, and it, 
I already knew it, but it resonated with me again. He's like, you know, when things are when things are going bad and you're losing games, the only ones that can get you out of the mess you're in are the, the your team and the players. It's not the media, it's not the fans. Like it's so you better have relationships with those guys and and that's what we try and do here. I'm I'm a relationship person. Uh always have been the you know, we, we, we talk all the time in our program. We want to be the, you just use the word connected, but we talk about wanting to be the, the closest, most connected team in the nation. And we have that on the walls here in our facility. And, and that I think we are in a lot of ways, we, we've won some games the last two seasons that we probably weren't as talented as the team that we were playing, but we won those games because of the closeness and the togetherness that our guys played with and, and the passion they play with uh, when they're out on the field playing for each other. But you, and we had a team meeting about this morning, about that this morning, coach, like you have to be very intentional about it. And to me, it's, it's shared struggles and, and spending quality time with one another and the shared struggles that's on the practice field. That's the workouts and quality time. We try and do as much. We only get them four hours a day yeah. here in, the, in our facility. So we try and do as many things with them outside this building. And even when they're in this building together that we, that we can. And then to me, it's honesty. Um, it's uh, consistency one thing I learned from my dad that I try and be as a head coach is not a guy that's just on an emotional roller coaster. It's one of the things I admire about you, just watching your games and watching you coach over the years, just the steadiness that you had on the sidelines and your teams played that way. So we try and I try and we try and be consistent as coaches and not, you know, sky high after a win and rock bottom after a loss. And and those are all things that your players learn. The first time we lost a game here at Carolina, they're all watching me to see how I'm going to handle it. Or the first time we dealt with adversity. So just things like that. But to me, it's just at the end of the day, um, I want this to be a program and a football facility that our players, they look forward to coming into this building each day. And that's one of the best compliments I get is when high school coaches or other college coaches. We had an NFL coach that was here last week and they tell me, man, your players just, there's so much joy in this program and there's so much energy in this program. It's awesome to see. And, and that's because of the type of young men that we're recruiting, but also the togetherness that was built by just communication and honesty and just time, time spent with one another, getting to know one another. It, it's really fun. Just uh, the foundational elements of trust and relationship and, and when you truly trust someone and and love being around them the joyful nature comes out in a game that can be pressure filled and there's all kinds of expectations which then can kind of impose this other pressure that sometimes if a head coach or position coach lets it it can kind of get in the way of the joy yeah. which is the game right and yeah. and so it's just really fun to hear the intentional way that you're you're going about that Knowing that, right, uh, you certainly set um, the tone for the entire program and how you model and consistency allows young people. It's one less thing they have to worry about how the head coach is going to be that day. Yeah. And then how do they tailor their actions to be like that, which kind of gets in the way of their growth. Yeah. And so when when they know who you are and how you're going to be, there's just a safe place where they can use the rest of that space to grow and mature, which I can see it happening in your program. Great point. And for the coaches too. I mean, when I was coming up yeah. as a coach, there were head coaches oh, that I was for that 
every day you're kind of waiting, you're walking on eggshells, just kind of waiting to see what kind of mood he's going to be yeah. in that day as well. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, we, we coach our guys hard and we're, we hold them accountable and we're demanding and this isn't an easy program to be a part of, but I don't want them wondering, you know, what is Shane or what is coach Beamer going to be like one day to the next, you know, there's a consistency that, that is also about the accountability and the discipline that we want to, you know, uh, have in this program also. Well, and when, when you are consistent like that and the relationships are established, they're not having to worry about motive. So when you do hold them accountable, the motives already established, you know, you love them, care about them. That doesn't mean right. That you're going to be easy or soft. And, and there's great research that just, I was talking with um, the university of Washington's coach, Kaylin DeBoer recently. And there's great research that says, if you're just relational, you can get a certain level of performance and it's in the 60th to 70th percentile. If all you care about results uh, is results, it's about the same. But once you combine those, the, the people that truly love and care, with amazing expectations that you get into the 90th percentile. Wow. And so what you just shared is is meaningful and which means you have to probably surround yourself and and have other coaches that um are aligned with you. And so how did you go about doing that part and to ensure that right that your touch point with the players is is one but every you know between your strength coach and your trainers and your assistant coaches how have you man- how have you gone about or- uh, orchestrating that? Yeah, no, great question because as you know, I mean, there's so many people that that are in this football facility each and every day that you're responsible for, and you all want to make sure everybody's going, doing, you know, going in the same direction and sharing the same message as well. Because we we use the word you just mentioned it, but we use the word love in this program a lot, and we tell them that love is, you know, it's 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 also hard. It's it's telling your brother the truth sometimes and and being honest with people as well so for me you know the staff as we put it together and then everybody it's it's i'm wanting to when i got hired and anytime i make a hire it's wanting to find someone that's a great person you know first and foremost uh this job's too hard the hours are too long you want to be with good people as well there's certainly um there's got to be a ability to recruit an x's and o's you know understanding but just good solid people that that not necessarily 10 clones of me because you need guys that complement one another as well. So you're trying to look for all that. But once you get them on board, it's making sure they understand just like our players, that these are the core values of this program. And and this is what we're going to be. And and to be frank, coach, there were some guys that we had on our staff early on that it was an adjustment for them. And they had a hard time maybe coaching the way that I want our guys to be coached just because they hadn't used the word love a lot in their program. And, and uh, it was just different, but to me, it's just constantly reinforcing the message all the time, because especially in today's time with the transfer portal and and recruiting, like every year is different. And every year there's just, there's, there's, there's player turnover with new faces coming in more so than ever because of the portal. And then you have, you know, coaching changes. You've got guys that, you know, if they, they have opportunities to better themselves or advance their career, whether it's your on-field coaches, whether it's a graduate assistant, analyst, whoever it may be, strength coaches, nutritionists, there's a lot of new people that come into your program uh, each and every year. So every year starting over. And then it's just for me, constantly reinforcing the message of what we want this program to be about and then being able to show 
examples of that as well, uh, whether it be love, whether it be gratitude, trust, whatever, toughness, accountability, competition, just talking about it and showing examples of that. So the message never gets uh, never gets uh, grainy. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the coolest parts about being a college football coach and head coach is you get to assess what your team needs. And I'm talking about traits, whether it be love or gratitude or courage or yeah. or whatever it might be, and then stand in front of them after thinking and praying and considering how best can you get the message across, what clips to then show and pour out your heart to them. And, and when they do trust you, there there's a connection formed that way where they start really look, looking forward to what you're going to present because they know you're presenting things that you think they need yeah. to grow and develop. And yeah. And that that becomes really fun. Uh, you mentioned another word, well, two words. So love and and like and and so I had a pretty simple rule um, that you just basically shared really well that I wouldn't work with anyone I didn't like. That's where <laughs> I ended up in my career. Yeah. And, and you know, people would look and just say, you know, that that what does that mean? And, and and what it basically meant is I was expecting just fierce competency at what they did, but mm-hmm. an amazing person that was doing it. And yeah. if there was just someone that was really good at coaching, that wasn't enough. Right. And if they were just a great person without being a great coach, that wasn't enough. And so when you put those together, those are the people that I liked. And, yeah. and so Ruffin McNeil, he has some of the best one-liners that I've ever heard. And he told me one time about his wife, Erlene, I'm in like with her. And, and, <laughs> and, and then he, he went on to explain to me that, that like was actually in some cases stronger than love, meaning when he had free time, he couldn't wait to be with her. Huh. And so I was thinking about uh, some of the coaches on my staff, man, if I had an afternoon and an hour, would I really want to call them to be the yeah. ones? And if I couldn't answer yes to that, then I stopped hiring those people huh. because, because as you see the hours you spend, and then I started applying it to recruiting and, and after, so the, re, the visits really became a tryout as to how much do I really like, I already know he can play, but how much yeah. do I really like him? Yeah. And what I found is, man, when you really like the people you're around, which again, I'm presenting right now almost above love. And, and I know that it's controversial, yeah. but it, it's different. Man, was I in a better mood? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so anyway, uh, just you listening to you talk about your staff, it, it, it makes yeah. sense to me. No, I like that. And uh, you're right about Ruffin McNeil. We worked together in Oklahoma and, and I know how he I know how he feels about you. And, and as a, somebody that admires coaches, I've admired you for a long time. And I used to pick Coach McNeil's brain on just some of the things y'all did at Virginia and things like that as well. So he's he's fantastic. And and uh, uh, I know that line well. <laughs> so the other thing I was you, you mentioned is. Uh, with the transfer portal now. And let's just, uh, in my opinion, right, coaches have been in the transfer portal for a long time. You know, there's always opportunities. uh, And I'm not talking necessarily about going from being an assistant coach to a head coach or an assistant coach to a coordinator, but there's always been kind of movement from one place Mm -hmm. to the other, either. Usually I would think for opportunity and finance are the two maybe the main things. But now there's another element where the players are, are transitory as well. And so, I don't know, how has that maybe shifted um, you're considering growing your program and developing your program versus kind of building next year's roster, um, which seems to be more pressure now for the next season, maybe than ever with the timeframes given versus really developing young people and give it's it's uh, there's time constraints, I guess, is what's happening now. And I'm just wondering how you feel and what's happening there with you. 
No, you're right. It's, it's constantly in flux. Uh, you know, it's it's ever changing, and and you're always you're always looking one year ahead, and you don't want to have anybody where that's on your team that you're thinking would be a potential guy to enter the transfer portal because I want everybody to be here and I want everybody to have a great experience. But you also just look around and understand that's kind of the reality of it that people are going to leave for different opportunities, and um, you know, being able to be flexible and 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 not be shocked when stuff like that happens. You're always looking one year ahead from a recruiting standpoint as well. And then, you know, the thing is, the thing is tough with it, coach, is just with the transfer portal and the windows now, you know, a lot, we can talk a whole segment on this, but just in January, when a lot of these guys are making decisions, it gets kind of, uh, uh, complicated because every college in America is starting their spring semester at a different time. There's no universal start date for when every college starts classes. And if you're going to get a guy into your program, you need them there when classes start so they can be in school and, and get going. And that just really speeds up the process in a lot of ways. We start early. You know, I think we start a class the the first or second Monday in January this year. So we spend, you talk about recruiting and it's a tryout and you're finding out about people. Well, we recruit guys for three, four years out of high school. Well, sometimes in the transfer portal, you're recruiting a guy for 24 hours and you're trying to find out as many things about a guy. And and does he fit what you want to be about as a program? You're calling other coaches, you're calling the high school coach, whatever it might be, but it may be a situation where, He's on an official visit to your campus. You don't make contact with him. He goes in the portal, let's say Thursday. You make contact with him Thursday afternoon. He's on your campus Friday for an official visit. And you can start class on Monday. And it's just, it's a lot um, at the first part of January where you're trying to take what for some kids, some high school recruits is a three-year process and get it all done in 24 hours as well. Um, so it's, it's a, uh, that's a challenge, but you, it is what it is. And you figure out the best way to make it work for your program. And, and uh, you're always just kind of, you're, you're flexible and that, you know, there's going to be some transition and some change, whether you like it or not. And, and, um, and you just deal with it the best that you can. Man, it, you, you express that so clearly and the time frames. can you imagine, I, I don't know, maybe taking, and I don't know how it was with you and your spouse, but man, 24 hours wasn't enough for Holly and I to know this was the right fit. You know, it, it, on her part, it took her a lot longer to assess the man. Is this really the right guy for me? And so, man, and, and it's it's a huge commitment. Right. And so 24 hours, when you think about the magnitude of the decision, yeah. not only for the young person, but for you as the head coach and your and their teammates, yeah. there's a lot riding on that. But in listening to you. The more clear you are about the principles of the of your program and what you're looking for, man, that gives you a great well, it gives you a better chance because then you you know what you're looking for. I'm not right. talking about ability on the field. It's just right. man. Besides that, this is our program. I'm so clear about that. Will he fit? Yeah. And then and then trying to to have activities or assessment tools in that 24 hours to try to bring that part out to see if that's going to work or not. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, how much within that process, I guess, uh, and so many programs, right? The typical model has been player host and getting feedback from players. How much of knowing how close you are with your players, is that part of, I don't know, after they've been with you 24 hours, are you consulting with your team at all as to what their experiences have been like? Or 
Yeah, we are. And it goes both ways. I mean, we, um, we, I was telling somebody the other day, like our players should be our best recruiters. If what we're saying as coaches is the truth, yeah. I mean, we can have a, a prospect on campus and his family, and we can be talking about how much we care about them and, and the energy in this program and the honesty. Well, if, if they get with our players afterwards and our players are like, that guy's full of crap. Like that is not how this program is. Yeah. Well, we got no chance. So yeah. we want to be real and honest with our players. And then therefore, hopefully they're conveying to the prospects what a great place this is and they want to be a part of it. But absolutely. Um, I trust our guys and, and every young man, I shouldn't say every, but pretty much every young man that we bring in on a, on an official visit that spends time with our players, a, a player host, I asked that guy, hey, what do you think of so-and-so? How was he last night? And and we've had guys, just to be honest, that have been on a, recruits that have been on visits here. And when I asked our players the next day, it wasn't positive. And we no longer continue to recruit uh, some of those guys because if they don't, they don't fit what you want to be about as a program, you don't want them here. And especially if your own players are telling you that as well. So I, I trust their opinion and, and value it. And, and I would like to think that we're doing a good job as coaches on the front end about bringing in good people into our program. But every once in a while, you know, you, you may find out something once you get them here on campus and you're, you're and, and, and makes it even better that you're recruiting them or gives you some pause that you're recruiting them also. Man, it's so fun to hear. And as the leader, credibility is at stake with every decision. Yeah. And the number of decisions that you make as a head coach, it just is, there's an overwhelming volume of the number of those decisions. And some that don't seem like they have a great magnitude end up having magnitude. And so let, let's just say that a feedback came back from one of your players that, man, coach, I don't know if this guy fits with us and you take him anyway. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't take long before then what you're espousing and what you're doing your own players can then question. And so there, there's a balance in there. Um, I'm wondering when you took over your program and and we're just launching, uh, because again, the players that were there uh, weren't the players you selected and assessed. Um, did, you, did you reach out to any of them or was there a forum as, as you started, right? As you were presenting your way to hear how it was done or was it just you presented your way and just kind of went along or was there an opportunity early on uh, for some of the existing team to give you feedback? How, how did that work? Yeah. No, great question. And you're right. The, the decisions can be overwhelming. I kid that when I got, I got hired in December of 2020 and I feel like it was late February of 2021 before I did anything like football related. I'll never forget when I got hired Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, Dabo called me and he's like, do you have your, uh, do you have your scuba gear ready? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, because you better understand that here for the next months, all, all you're going to be doing is swimming and you're going to be trying to keep from drowning in that water you're swimming in because it's just going to keep piling up. But just hang in there and you'll get through it. And I, at the time, I didn't realize it, but I realized quickly what what he meant. But, yeah, I wanted to get their feedback. Like I had an idea of, um, you know, a, a while back when I was an assistant coach, I'm a big I'm a, uh, I'm a fan of coaches 
period. And, you know, like I, I mentioned, learning, asking Coach McNeil about you. I've read your book, Coach Mendenhall, and, and still, you know, have taken things from that that I've implemented and utilized. And and I'm a big Tony Bennett fan, uh, basketball here at Virginia. And I remember reading, uh, I was looking through the University of Virginia basketball media guide one time, and he had the core values of his basketball program. And I remember thinking, you know what, what I want – I'm a head coach. What would be the core values of a football program that I have here at Carolina be? And um, uh, sat, sat down and thought about the things that are important to me. And I mentioned it, but love, gratitude, positive energy, trust, uh, toughness, accountability, and competition. I know people say you can only learn things in threes or fives or whatever. I did seven just because I thought they were important, but love, gratitude, positive energy, trust, and toughness, accountability, and competition. Um, so when I interviewed for that job in Atlanta that day, that's the things that we talked about. Here's what I want this program to be about on and off the field. Um, so I knew that going in, here's what we're going to be. But also to me, I think it's important when you take over a program, understanding why we're in the situation that we're in. So when I got hired, um, I arrived in, I arrived in Columbia, plane landed, I came to the facility. I immediately met with the team as a whole to introduce myself and what we were going to be about. Uh, then I met with the existing staff members individually, just, you know, my thoughts on them going forward. Is there a place for them or not? And that's not, those aren't easy conversations, obviously, but I just wanted to be honest with them. But then as soon as that was over the next morning, I started just individual player meetings and all 100 plus players on the team, I met with individually in my office and it was a get to know you session, me telling them about me. Tell me about you. Where are you from? Uh, tell me about your family. What are you majoring in? Why did you choose the University of South Carolina? But then the last thing I asked every single one of them was, um, why are we a two win team? Because at the time, South Carolina was two and eight. And I said, why are we a two win team? Why is the coach that you came to play for no longer here? Why am I now sitting in this office as the head coach? What are the issues and what needs to change? And everything they told me, I, I just wrote it down. So if somebody said one thing, I wrote it down. And then for each person that said that afterwards, I just kind of kept notes and, and kept compiling all the answers and to learn from our guys about what some of the issues were. And it was pretty cool because those core values that I just mentioned that I already knew what this program was gonna be about I was hearing from our players, those are the things that we that we needed as a program, the, the love for one another. Uh, we, love was, is, is the core value of this program. There wasn't a lot of love for one another. There wasn't a lot of joy uh, or positive energy, you know, coming into this building. Um, a lot of the players, and this isn't to knock anybody that came before me, but a lot of the players thought that the, the accountability was just inconsistent um, as well. And just, um, just things like that, hearing from them helped me to understand, okay, here's what we're dealing with. Here's what this team needs right now. But then also just solidifying what I wanted this program to be about and uh, being able to, okay, let's, let's figure out a plan of attack to go erase these things and, and make them positives for us. Wow. What a, what a masterful um, design element. And so even if what the feedback that you were getting back wasn't accurate, it was perceived to be accurate from them, yeah. which gave you a better idea of the environment that you're making decisions within. Yeah. And then you're aware of what those tension points are. And 
man, what a what a great way to just start. Um, I'm anxious because I remember exactly standing in front of my team at Virginia for the first time and what I thought they were going to look like in terms of demeanor. And then as I started talking, what they were actually like, the things that I thought I was going to say, I didn't use any of those things. Mm. I ended up addressing what I saw. Um, and there was a phrase that that came into my mind at that point only, and it was earned, not given, meaning this to be grateful to get to play this game. Um, to, to be grateful. And so that, that wasn't something that, that I went in with prepared to say it was something that I saw and then crafted my remarks to that. And so I know exactly what you're saying. You get off the plane and then you go talk to the team. Um, I'm wondering from what you thought you were going to say to what you actually said, do you remember any similarities or differences in those remarks, um, uh, in your experience? Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because you always envision, okay, I get hired as a head coach. Here's what it's going to look like and feel like. And there's all kinds of pomp and circumstance when I get off the plane and my family's with me. And that wasn't the case because of COVID. And I got hired on a Sunday. And the night before, uh, the South Carolina football team had played a night game up at Kentucky in Lexington, Kentucky, and, and got beat pretty handedly. And, you know, they get on their – they get on the bus after the game. It's announced that I'm the new head coach. And then less than 24 hours later, they're in a, they're meeting me, you know? So it was just weird because normally that's after the season, they were still basically kind of in the season um, as well. Uh, so that was different. Also because of COVID protocols, I wasn't walking into a team meeting room where it's like this really confined setting. The team meetings were being held in, our indoor facility. Um, <laughs> yep. Everybody was in metal folding chairs spread out across yep. the indoor facility. Yep. Everybody was wearing masks and I'm in there with a microphone talking so everybody can hear me. So it wasn't quite the <laughs> intimate, intimate setting that I always in, envisioned a first team meeting being. But the thing that I tried, so that was different because I didn't see that, didn't think about it that way. But um I just one wanted to convey um, how much I wanted to be here, you know, that I've been here before and that we had wanted a high level here at South Carolina and that I was really, really excited. Like this was a dream job for me, making them understand, you know, how much I wanted, making them and hopefully understand how much I wanted to be here. And then the other thing that I do remember saying is that we would, you know, earn their trust because sometimes you hear new coaches get up there and you need to trust me and, and you have to trust me. Well, like they don't know me. I, I didn't recruit any of them, but I told them I'm going to, you're going to earn, I'm not going to ask you to trust me today. We're going to earn your trust with uh, our actions here every day going forward. And it kind of goes back to that consistency thing we talked about a little bit ago, just the, the interactions where they see that, who we say we are is who we are and it doesn't change day to day. You know, I, I, I remember wanting to convey that uh, to them and, and feel like I did. I've got a picture over my left shoulder here on the top shelf of that first press conference. It wasn't that long ago. I feel like I look a lot younger and, <laughs> and things like that. Cause then you immediately come back upstairs and you sit down in this office chair and it's like, whew, all right, what now? As well. It was that was a great memory, but it was uh, there was a lot to do. But I feel like it was you know it was it was it was a good initial meeting because so many so many of those kids are going to make a decision in those five minutes, ten minutes, 
right? Based on what you say to them and whether they decide they want to stay, whether they decide to enter the portal. And I mean, I remember driving back to the hotel that night and there was a linebacker on the team that called me to tell me he was going to enter the NFL draft. I'm like, well, whoa, like I just got here. Can we talk about this as well? And, and he's, he's had a, having a great career in the NFL right now as well, but it's just a lot coming at you. And it was obvious to me, like all those interactions are so important because they're just shaping every, every interaction is shaping everything that's going to be taking part in your program, whether it be an individual interaction, a group interaction, whatever it may be. Fascinating and what a what an amazing, challenging but impactful first meeting. I mean, because that that could go a number of ways. Those challenges could get in the way of the message, or they could actually enhance it by how you adapt, adjust, and and drive through it the best yeah. of your ability. And your team's assessing that as well. Like here's all of that you just said, um, and then they're looking at is this now someone I want to follow based right. on how he's handling that. And and you go to the individual interactions like you were mentioning. And sometimes you think it's only an individual, but that player has friends and has family. And, and however that individual interaction goes, it doesn't take long for it to spread. Exactly. And, and then your team's making that decision, as you said. In yeah. five minutes or less, Malcolm Grad Gladwell wrote a great book called Blink about the power of first impression. Mm-hmm. And fascinating about uh, how accurate uh, it usually is. Um, yeah. There's all different kinds of, of directions it goes, but just um, – what a what a fitting way to start a head coach's career with all the different things that happened, right? You yeah. might as well start with in season COVID, uh, microphone <laughs> masking, all of that. I mean, because yeah. really that's probably the most representative of what it's like than than anyone that could that, that could tell you. So yeah, cool. exactly. I just um, it's just so fun to hear. Um, I, I remember a constant state of readiness uh, as I became a head coach. Um, I can't say that it diminished a lot, but what I did recognize over time is the threshold to really put me on edge rose over the years. You know, it used to that this level of maybe challenge used to kind of set me off in terms of anxiety or worry or not sleeping over the years. It just kind of went up a little bit. It never went away, but (laughs) it would take a little bit more of a crisis over time. Um, Same. I've seen that. (laughs) I feel that way. And just just in two going into year three, you know, I mean, it's certainly need to be better, but I certainly have felt like that, that threshold change a little bit just from my own circumstance. Well, and, and the, those that benefit most really are your family. And so yeah. your own kids and your spouse as then you transition home and, and really try to be your best self there. And yeah. it sounds like family's really important to you. How has that been for them, your wife and kids, as you've now moved to the head coaching realm, what, yeah. what's their world like, or how, how has that been for your family? Yeah, no, it's been great. Um, you know, I was fortunate before I became a head coach to work for, you know, head coaches that that valued family and family being around and whether it be my dad at Virginia Tech. And then when I worked for Lincoln Riley at Oklahoma, he had worked with Coach Stoops, who was that was very important for Coach Stoops. And uh, so uh, they they were fortunate as an assistant coach, but it's great now as the head coach because, you know, they're I'm in a different chair and it's a different thing for them as well um but they've they've handled it great you know we love living in columbia uh they're sports fans they i think it's important i want families in this program all the time our assistant coaches families they know they're always welcome here in this facility and and um uh i think that's great for our players to see us as not just coaches but husbands and fathers and 
and uh, something that I want to, you know, be a prime example of. And um, my kids love coming around. They love going to games. Uh, there's great life lessons I'm able to, you know, teach them as well. Tough losses, wins, um, you know, the people that are patting you on the back one week are the same people that are criticizing you the next week. So it's a lot of life lessons I'm able to teach them. And, and I think it's just been really important for me, um, you know, just to really prioritize my time and, you know, um, my, as you can imagine, I mean, that's like a, I don't know if I'm on camera, but if uh, a calendar that, that, you know, the calendar that I have is, I mean, it's filled up pretty quickly for the month of March and month of, you know, <laughs> April and all that as well. There's not many free days, but the one thing that I always try and do is the first time I find out about a kid's event, a sporting event, my daughter, my youngest daughter's into dance. Uh, my oldest daughter, she's going into high school next year. She's got a, you know, a ceremony to honor kind of the end of middle school going into high school. My youngest daughter's got dance competitions. My son's got different events, but I'll put them on the calendar as soon as I get it, just to make sure that, you know, we can schedule around that, but I don't want to miss those, um, those events, those opportunities to be with my kids. And then when I'm at home, certainly with cell phones, the recruiting part's never like over. I don't go home at night and, and shut things, shut things down. I do the, my best I to, but uh, it's, 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 it's hard to, plus as the head coach, there's things in your own program that are coming up at night that you, that you have to handle as well, but trying to do my best of when I'm at home, um, uh, be home and be dad and, and be husband. And then when I'm here, you know, just, even if it's just a two minute phone call to my wife during the day or a FaceTime with my kids on the way to school, just not being that guy. I never wanted my children or my wife or any of our coaches families to resent what their dads do for a living and uh, want to make quality time for them here. But then also our coaches being able to, you know, we work really, really hard, but we don't need to sit here and guard our desks either. I mean, if they need to go to a, uh, we had a, a, um, a uh, uh, few weeks ago, our Clayton White, our defensive coordinator, and Jody Wright, our tight ends coach, our kids go to the same school. The three of us went over there and served lunch to the elementary school at our kids' schools. And and last week, my son had a um, a uh, elementary school like uh, a spring spring play, spring theater performance, and. I went to that, told the coaches, you know, don't want you ever missing those things. Like the program will go on if you have to leave the facility for an hour yeah. to go to a kid's event, you know, and, and, and in season as well, uh, just being able to sneak away and get back and just to be as involved. So to answer your question, I'm sorry to ramble, but no, family's doing great and, and uh, they're enjoying this experience. But it's different also as the head coach, because as they get older, there's criticism that comes towards their dad when 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 we don't play well uh, also, and, and that's been a little bit new, a new situation for them being in the SEC and your dad's the head coach and uh, as well, but they're, they're tough and, and they've handled it great. I just, uh, I, I so appreciate you sharing and the family first last always. And if it's not on your schedule, the likelihood that you're going to attend, but wow, does it impact your assistant? Yeah. And then he or she knows it's important and it spreads without the entire organization and you modeling that. I just really, really appreciate you being on today. Love your perspective. So happy for your success. I'm happy for the players there and, and how the experience they're having, not only on the field, but how they're being treated and mentored. And uh, just really, uh, yeah, grateful for your time today and so appreciate you sharing. 
No, grateful for your time. Appreciate you having me on. And like I said, I'm a huge admirer of yours, coach, and and uh, followed you and kept up with you. Love the way you coach. Love the way your teams play, the competitive spirit they've had, and, and uh, look forward to connecting again soon, too. Thank you very much. And so, Brian, I'm, I'm about off the grid in Montana and my light's blinking here. So you better close this out faster. Or I'm going to just just disappear. Well, well, that's a bummer because I was, I was going to ask Shane, you know, now that you're on your pause, Bronco, Shane, Shane's kind of got to inform you. He, he's out there climbing trees. He's out there running races. He, he, you know, he, he's got this ball of energy, especially when it comes to recruiting. I, I don't know how, how you do it, Shane, but uh, it's been fun to see you, you grow the Gamecocks there and, uh, you know, continued success. Thank you so much for, for jumping on here with us and uh, going through everything. You got it. Appreciate it. I do it because I love what I do. So never worked a day in my life. There you go. There you go. For Rongo Mendenhall and Shane Beamer, I am Brian Fisher. We'll catch you again next week here on Head Coach You.